you got stuck with the old, old headphones today. It's okay. I see how the hierarchy goes. When you're old like you, you need okay. to have the new stuff so you can hear better. Easy. You know what? That's not the way we start a week. We start a week by doing our shout out to the men and women who are protecting us so we can make a podcast, OG. On Flag Day. It is Flag Day. It is. How did I miss it? Wave the flag. They are everywhere in the neighborhood. They, 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 that's right. We, we just, even driving to mom's house, mm-hmm. they have flags all over the neighborhood. And by, on behalf of the men and women here at Stacky Benjamins and the men and women at the Navy Federal Credit Union, we'd like to have a big Flag Day shout out to the men and women keeping us all safe. Let's all go stack some Benjamins together, shall we? So, faced with the question, where did they go next with this podcast? The guys were recently joined by legendary musical genius Bruce Dickerson, who's agreed to be the new producer of the Stack and Benjamins show. They were all excited to meet him. Hey, fellas, I'm Bruce Dickerson. Yes, the Bruce Dickerson. You have a dynamite sound, fantastic sound. I have only one suggestion. More cowbell. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and how do the best in the world reverse engineer success? Today, we welcome the author of the new hit book that'll help you shortcut greatness, Dr. Ron Friedman. I mean, but seriously, if you really just want to see greatness, just listen to the rest of this intro. Plus, are you missing out on free money? 80% of Americans aren't taking advantage of COVID relief. Are you? We'll talk about this and more during our headline segment. Later, we'll toss out the Haven Lifeline to Albert, who ran some calculations, and a large percentage of his 403B gains will go to fees. What should he do? And I'll save time for some of my zoo-themed trivia. And now, two guys who are stretched out and ready to begin another glorious podcast week. It's Joe and O-J-J-J-J-G. Thank you, Mr. Doug, and welcome everybody back to the Stacky Benjamin Show. I'm Joe Saul Sihai, Average Joe Money on Twitter, and it is a fantastic beginning of the week. And OG here in Texas, a very mild spring. You and I were just talking about that mild summer so far. It's crazy. It's not officially summer. It is. It's June. Summer starts June 21st. That's cool. that, See, that's nuts, too. It, does, it, it starts at Memorial Day. I mean, let's be realistic. Robert Niles has already come down to the basement, so we've got summer going on. You ready for another week of podcasting? Bring the lumber. I'll tell you what. We've got Dr. Ron Friedman here, and he is going to talk about decoding greatness. Must have a copy of my DNA. Oh, oh, oh. Hey, I, you can see that one coming from a mile away. We also have our TikTok Minute. Very important headline for people that don't feel like they're doing that well, maybe need some help. Good news is there may be some help that they've overlooked. That's all on tap today. But first, 
This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Cards issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC. Terms and conditions apply. This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Dr. Ron Friedman, getting ready to talk about greatness. But before him, we've got some great headlines. So let's get the party started. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our Stacking Benjamin's Headlines. Our first headline comes to us from Yahoo Money. Uh, Don Alcott wrote this, OG. Are you missing out on free money? 80% of Americans aren't taking advantage of COVID relief. And we've seen lots of studies that show that um, the time of COVID was a K-shaped recovery. Uh, Some people did incredibly well. Life went on. Other people, like if you worked online, if you worked at Netflix, you had a great year. But for other people... They struggled because of, uh, well, because of the pandemic and 80% of people not taking advantage of free, free money. According to a recent uh, Credit Karma survey, the site best known for providing Americans with a free credit score work with Qualtrics to survey 1,037 U.S. adults. The findings, both surprising and unsettling, revealed that 79% of Americans are aware of emergency financial relief aid offered as a result of the pandemic. However, 80% of unemployed respondents who know about the benefits haven't used them. 
eighty hmm. percent. Wonder why that is. Does it? Did we talk about? It does say sixty-two percent said they were confused about where to apply. Okay. I mean, we have uh, we applied for the PPP, and even that process, if you remember when that first got rolled out, was incredibly confusing. And in fact, there are people that we have talked about that own small businesses and talked to that own small businesses about the PPP. Didn't understand how it Didn't get it. Didn't understand it. Couldn't find a bank that would figure out how to help them. Yeah. What's frustrating to me is that if you're somebody that needs this type of help, where do you go to find it though, OG? You know, where do you go to find the person that knows about all of the programs that are available? This this is probably a DIY project. I mean, there are some people out there. uh, I know that in the PPP world, there were, there's like referral fees that you could get if you were providing referrals to the banks for processing. But a lot of the other benefits, I, I learned of one that we're eligible for for Stacking Benjamins related to people who were sick or you know, ill with COVID. You had COVID, I've had it. And there's some tax benefits for the company that way too. And I, you know, it's on me for not knowing it, but there's not one resource that you can go to that says, here's all the 30 pages of stuff that you could possibly qualify for. 27% said they believe they wouldn't qualify. So just over one in four thought, you know what, it's out there, but I probably won't qualify, so I'm not going to do it. Yeah. Well, you probably do, actually. Which, yeah, I, it, it, it is frustrating. How much of that, how many of those people, though, do you think it's inertia, right? I mean, studies around the 401k that show that if you are auto-signed up, you're much more likely to continue to save into it, whereas if you are not auto-signed up, you're likely not to do it just because inertia. It maybe feels easier to do nothing, but you got to, man, if you're hurting, you got to take advantage of this stuff. And by the way, this piece says, OG, that it's not too late that if your business job or income was affected by the pandemic and you're having trouble paying your bills and haven't yet recovered financially, there are still lots of programs out there that you can get. You got to, it's time for the Google search. Yeah. Yeah. If you're impacted in any way, shape or form, there's probably some benefits available to you. Federal Communications Commission also recently opened applications for the Emergency Broadband Benefit Program. That's a program available for people that uh, really love Disney Plus and have struggled to. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> not 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 at all funny. But what it provides up to fifty dollars per month for households to pay for their broadband internet service, plus a one hundred dollar one-time discount on an internet-enabled device such as a smartphone, a laptop, or a desktop computer. It's funny because I was joking about that, and people, of course, kids today just will need their screen. That's not the case at all, man. Look at schools now, right? So many kids are learning from home and a lot of homework now on the screen. I'm taking a course, and it's all online. Like, it's not... Uh, it's My not- kids have been iPad only for five years. They're on books. It's all on iPad. Their homework's done on iPad. It's crazy. Do you think that's a struggle for mom and dad? Like, is that a struggle for parents to just even grasp this new world of, of, uh, like how the heck are kids learning? If, 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 if the kid brings home no books, mm-hmm. you know, and you'll see these arguments that I actually witnessed an argument just a couple of weeks ago, a friend of mine was really upset at his daughter who it turned out was actually looking up the answer on her phone to a question he was asking. He asked her a question. She went to her phone and started going like this. And he's like, damn it, put your phone down. And he goes and he grabs her phone. He's like, I'm sick of you having the." And he looks at the screen and goes, oh. How to surprise dad. 
you were looking up the answer. That, that could be like your background screen. You know, people had like fun Zoom screens, you know, like reconnecting so they didn't have to go to school and stuff. You could have your background screen just be like a Google search bar birthday surprises for dad. <laughs> and so like whenever you, you know, some of your parent grabs your phone, you can just like click it off. And when they look at it, it looks like the Google screen. Oh, that's so nice oh, of you. I'm sorry. Here you go. Yes. I'm such a jerk. That's not TikTok you at know, all. The thing that I was thinking about was handwriting. Hey, handwriting's got to be a mess now. Yeah. I mean, my kids only write on their iPad and the feel for that's a little different. You know, I have an iPad. I'm staring at it right now with an Apple pencil. And when my cousin was in town, he was uh, showing me, he got his whole team, the, and you've probably seen the ads for it on uh, Instagram called Remarkable. Mm. And it, I, I played with it for a second. It actually feels legit like you're writing on paper with a pencil. Like that's what the tactile sensation feels that's like. That's cool. Super cool. No other applications whatsoever. You can't watch movies on it. It's like literally just for taking notes. And there's some other foibles that I don't particularly care for. But if it had that on you know, like an iPad screen, that would be perfect. But the, uh, but yeah, kids are just, you know, typing or writing their answers with their fingers and stuff like that. I got to tell you, writing my name when the check comes and they use the screen and you got to put your name on the screen. I saw you paying f- for, for something. Did I just go? Bleh. Yeah. 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 Oh, I just, and I don't even try. I do, I do not even try to write my name. I just make a few. Oh, squ- when I came into the basement. Yes. This, this, uh, the- yes. I make a few squiggly lines and, uh, and I'm like, yep, that's good enough. It's, 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 it's useless. Fine. Yeah. It's like the credit card receipt. <laughs> it just doesn't, doesn't matter. Does anybody even look at that? No. I mean, what, what I just put my X down there at the top. Hey, it's time for the TikTok minute every Monday. Well, most Mondays, last Monday, we talked to the amazing comedian, uh, Brett Reibold about, uh, the new Brett coin. Go back and listen listen to uh, Brett if you want some hilarity and also news of maybe the next big coin. But most weeks we have our TikTok Minute where we dive into some uh, TikTok creator that has an amazing, amazing with tongue buried completely in my cheek, amazing advice about the uh, world of investing. And here... A TikTok person is talking about the amazement of the last couple of weeks, which has been AMC stock. Let's listen. Can AMC really hit 100K per share part two? So I got a lot of comments like this one, and some were, you know, let's say more disrespectful than others, which is fine because there's a lot of people who just don't believe and haven't done any research. But there's some people who are involved and just genuinely don't think it can go as high as we're saying it can, which is fair. But like I said in my first video, I want to break it down to mathematics. Mathematically speaking, it is statistically possible that AMC can reach anywhere from 100k a share to 500 or even a million dollars a share. Now it seems insane, right? Well, it's actually not crazy when you take into account the geometric mean and how many people we know for a fact are AMC holders. With that being said, I want to make it abundantly clear that not everyone's going to get that tip top of the mountain 500k price or whatever k price. Not everyone's going to be able to get that. Everyone's going to come out at different levels, and everyone's going to obviously try their best to get the top, but not everyone's going to time the top. You're not going to time the top. So maybe you got to just get uh, 250000 a share, or maybe 350000 a share. You know, you might not get the half million a share. And by the way, it is statistically possible. Statistically possible. <laughs> you know, some people haven't done the research, and this guy's done the research, the, the statistical probability 
of infinitesimal statistical probability that just maybe hundred thousand a share be something, wouldn't it? You're you're upset. You sold yours, aren't you? Now that you heard that video, I'm calling the top. I'm going to call the top <laughs> on the on the TikTok minute when somebody's calling a hundred thousand dollar share. I, you know, there's there's a chance. There's a chance that AMC, a movie theater, marginally, are they even profitable yet? Marginally profitable, uh, will be worth more than Berkshire Hathaway. Yes. There is a chance that that is the case. But but, but let's talk about a million dollars a share. A million dollars a share will not happen. That will, yeah. Well, I mean, it could if well, there was some a lot of reverse stock splits. Yeah, there, That's the secret. <laughs> There has to be, well, well, the problem there is nobody can afford to buy a share then. And if you can't afford to buy a share. Fractional shares at Schwab. Ah, uh, there you go. Yeah. Can you see Schwab cobbling together 87 investors to buy a share? That'd be swell, huh? <laughs> Putting together 135 different investors. Do you think, I was going to say, you think it's share. only 135 investors? Right. Do that math even. That's, that's a lot of money for that. But, but at some point before that, you'll see the stock split. So valuation wise, your holdings could be worth a million dollars, but I, I wouldn't see a million dollars a share. I can't even believe I'm saying this seriously. Like I'm, act, I'm <laughs> it's actually, not happening. I'm actually having a serious conversation it's not about happening. this guy's, this guy's video. Yeah. Thanks, by the way, to uh, what's largely become on our Monday TikTok minute, uh, TikTok investors. I feel like maybe we should get ahead of this curve and set Twitter some feed. people straight. Yeah. The TikTok investors Twitter feed is, is largely uh, fueling this segment for us. Not every week, but a lot of weeks. And if you're not following TikTok investors, well, we got you covered because I feel like we're doing the best of lately. But uh, there's just so many, so many here. Time for your takeaways, OG. We've got uh, AMC going to a million. Forget 100,000, it's going to a million. Uh, or we also have COVID relief. What's our big takeaway today from the headlines? Tough one. Tough one to pick from. I'm going to go with COVID relief as as the winner today. Uh, sadly, I'm going to have to uh, have to pick that one. I mean, this goes for everything. It's not just the. It's not just COVID. It's if if you've got something going on in your world that requires some assistance. Don't be too proud to ask for help. And it's it's not just now. It's if you're having trouble paying your credit card bills, don't wait until you've missed seven months and then go, my bad. Ask for help on day six. They'll work with you. If you have trouble making your rent payment, talk to your landlord. We had a renter who who uh, didn't make any payments, you know, we just assumed you know, something was going on. We had the property manager talk to us and say, hey, you know, there's all these resources available that will help kind of bridge this gap. And he said, yeah, I'm not really interested in doing any of that stuff. What? I'll just get kicked out. And it's like, see, I, I don't get that's that. That's so weird. But just ask for help wherever you are, not just money. It's okay to ask for help. That's my takeaway. Yeah. I think that's a great takeaway, especially since we go back to, uh, I'm going to go back to last Monday when we did our top five ways to really rock your money. And one of your takeaways then, OG, is there's some things in life that you have to do. Other people are not going to do for you. And these are, these, these are one of those things, man. It, it, some of this relief is hard to find. It's hard for these agencies to find you. You got to go searching for them. And I know that's difficult, but think about the payoff versus getting kicked out of your, of your property. That that just oh it makes me sick to my stomach. Great takeaway though, OG. And speaking of great 
we have the great Doug uh, standing right here next to me. I'm going to move out of the chair here and uh, let's do some trivia, man. Hey there, stackers. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. Did you know that today is monkey around day? While that may seem appropriate because we've been known to maybe monkey around in the past, no more. We are dead serious, serious as a heart attack. To show we're not messing around, we got rid of the cover art, no more bag on OG's head. But that's kind of punishment now, you know, because like you got to actually look at his face at some point. No, I'm kidding. Dude, just back off. I'm kidding. I'm actually pretty serious. Anyway, okay, stackers, uh, that was uncalled for and included maybe just a smidge of monkey business. So let me get to today's trivia before I really get going on OG. Since we're talking about no more monkey business, I think we should have some zoo trivia, don't you? The world's largest zoo measured by acres just so happens to be in the U.S. So what zoo is it? I'll be back with your answer faster than Joe and OG can horse around. And now a word from our sponsors at Betterment. Do you want your money to dream big? Do you want your money to be a total self-starter? Are you annoyed that your money doesn't work hard enough? Well, don't worry. Betterment is here to help. Betterment's the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Their automated technology is built to help maximize returns, meaning when you invest with Betterment, your money can auto-adjust as you get closer to your goal, rebalance if your portfolio gets too far out of line, and your dividends are automatically reinvested. That can increase the potential for compound returns. In other words... Your money's breaking a sweat while you can be breaking bread. You'll never picture your money in the same way again. Betterment, the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Visit Betterment.com to get started. Investing involves risk. Performance is not guaranteed. Well, you know what I think about Navy Federal? I think about the veterans that have done so much for our country. And I also think about some of our active service members. want to say a special shout out to... Uh, My nephews, Colin and Nathan, who are both in the Navy. Colin is stationed outside Seattle, Washington on a submarine. And my nephew, Nathan, is in South Africa as an air traffic controller. And in Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants you also to celebrate members, many of whom go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. It's all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their family are eligible for Navy Federal membership. They offer 24-7 help from their U.S.-based member service. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate to see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender. Oh, hey there, stackers. I'm not monkeying around. No, no, not, not me. I'm just uh, you know, I'm testing out the latest, uh, greatest uh, uh, gamification technology. That's it. Uh, gamification technology. Horsing around, monkeying around. How could you accuse me of such thing? I told you I've moved past all that. Nothing but serious neighbor dug from now on. 
don't pay any attention to that um, fart fart cushion that just happens to be sitting on Joe's chair. I mean, it probably fell there off a ceiling or something, or or maybe the fake the fake snake in Joe's mom's shoe. <laughs> it's pretty hilarious, right? Am I right? It's funny. Even though I totally I would I would never do anything like that. I might need to go sit by the front door by the shoe rack, but before I do, there's no shortage of monkeying around at the zoo, you know? I mean, all right, I'm just going to get right to the point here. Because of the monkeys, no monkeying around, because monkeys at the zoo. Our question was, what is the largest zoo in the world? Home to just over 300 animals, they belong to less than 25 species. However, this zoo occupies 9,154 acres located in Cumberland, Ohio, it's the Wilds Safari Park. Sounds like I might have to go visit right after I watch Joe's mom leave the house while you enjoy Dr. Ron Friedman. Dr. Ron Friedman. This dude's amazing. Check him out. See ya! When you want to do something well, something that's going to pay you a lot, how do you overcome the fear of the big thing that's coming in your life? And how do you construct a path to do the great thing? Well, it turns out that one man has recently looked at this. Dr. Ron Friedman is an award-winning psychologist who served on the University of Rochester faculty, and he's consulted for political leaders, nonprofits, and many of the world's most recognized brands. His research has appeared all over the place, uh, you name it, OG, the New York Times, Washington Post, Boston Globe, Globe and Mail, The Guardian, uh, Harvard Business Review, and Psychology Today. I think this topic is something that we all want to lean into. How do we get where we're going in less time and with better results, Dr. Ron Friedman and Decoding Greatness, up next. And here he comes down the stairs. Dr. Ron Friedman joins us. How are you, man? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. It's so interesting, this topic of decoding greatness. And I'm always curious how do authors get ideas? What made you decide, you know what, I'm going to write about decoding greatness? Well, the first book I wrote is called The Best Place to Work. And in it, I took over a thousand academic studies and I translated them into plain English so that people had access to the latest science on how they can create a great workplace and elevate their performance at work. That came out of my experience of going from academics to working in the real world and seeing, wow, there's a huge gap in all of the latest research on creativity and performance and motivation that workplaces ignore. So I wrote that book, but there was something missing from that book, which is that even within the best workplace, there's a range of performance levels. Some people are top performers and others are not. And so I was curious in this book about what is it that makes top performers different? So I started looking at all the biographies of people who are top performers in a range of fields, ranging from artists to athletes 
to uh, creative geniuses. And what I found is that they're doing something vastly different than everyone else. And that is that they are reverse engineering success. And I'm excited to talk to you about it today. No, that's fantastic. Well, and, and on that note, you say, and, and we hear this all the time, Ron, we always hear about 10,000 hours, right? And yeah. uh, even, even Malcolm Gladwell says he was kind of misquoted when he talks about 10,000 hours. But everybody knows this idea. If you work on something for 10,000 hours, that's the key to success. You say that for people that are successful, that's not the case? That's exactly right. So what I discovered in doing the research for Decoding Greatness is that the stories we've been told about success are wrong. Most of us grew up with two basic stories about how people vault to the top of their profession. The first story is not the Gladwell story. The first story is that greatness comes from talent. So if you want to be successful, you have to identify a field that allows your innate strengths to shine. So people who are extraordinary speakers, perhaps they're born with a particular talent that they then apply to that particular field. That's the first story, talent. The second story is the Gladwell story, is the 10,000 hour, you know, practice, practice, practice. If you have the right regimen and you have the appetite for doing a lot of hard work, you'll get to the top. But in doing the research for this book, what I found is that there's a third story, and it's one that's not often told, and yet it is the path by which an astonishing number of top performers, from writers to inventors to entrepreneurs, have used for generations, and that's reverse engineering. And reverse engineering just means studying the best in a field and working backward to figure out how they did it. Now, in Silicon Valley, that approach is very well known. There's a very long history of coders deconstructing winning products. Uh, it's how we got the personal computer and laptops and, and the iPhone. But what's less well known is that reverse engineering also explains how writers like Stephen King and even Malcolm Gladwell learned their craft and how painters like Claude Monet became a groundbreaking artist. And I talk in the book about how Judd Apatow became a comedy legend by deconstructing other comedians. And so studying the best works in a field and then working backward to figure out how they were created, that turns out to be a far more common than anyone realized. And it's an approach that is especially relevant if you're in knowledge work. So talent and practice, yeah, sure, that's going to work for you if you're an athlete. But within uh, knowledge work, within creative fields, if you're producing something that needs to be new, practicing isn't going to get you there. In fact, if you practice something for 10,000 hours, chances are that field may have evolved, right? So it's it, you're, oh. you're practicing something that could become obsolete. Yeah, they talk about uh, professors teaching stuff that they're not using in the field anymore because things have moved on. It would seem to me, though, you have to have some talent. Because I think about Jad Apatow and hearing interviews with him, Ron, it's, it seems like he, he at the very least is naturally funny and knowing a little bit about his story that he really also had this desire to become a comedian. There's got to be a place still for talent and desire and then uh, reverse engineering what you want to do. I agree with that. I don't, I'm not suggesting that you can use reverse engineering and have no talent and be successful. I think there's a role for talent and there's a role for practice. What I challenge though, is this idea that if you don't have any talent, if you feel like you have no talent and you feel like you have no appetite for doing any practice, then you believe that Greatness is reserved for someone else, and it's for the elite who are born with a particular – with attributes that you don't possess. And so what reverse engineering offers you is a pathway. If you don't have the ability to practice for 10 years or if you are convinced that you have no talent, I would challenge that, right? Like everybody has got some talent that um, maybe they haven't uncovered. But what this provides you with is a roadmap. So 
one of the examples I give in Decoding Greatness is I reverse engineer the most popular TED Talk of all time, and I turn it into a template. And so that's the key is like reverse engineering isn't just an analytical exercise. It's an approach that allows you to take an example that you are enamored with, figure out why it's working, and turn it into a template that you can then modify to make your own. That is something that I think a lot of people feel is sorely needed because even if you want to create a great TED Talk, if you're staring at a blank page or uh, an empty document, that's going to be really intimidating. But starting with a roadmap by reverse engineering an example that you've really explored and have found impactful, that gives you direction. And so that's really empowering, I think, for a lot of people. I think it also gives you confidence, right? I mean, I'm taking an MIT course right now on social media. I know social media. I've been doing, you know, social media for a decade, but I still kind of felt like I was floundering, like I had no backbone and just having this experience with people that know what the hell they're doing and seeing this roadmap gave me an idea. And by the way, I don't want to let this go too long without saying this. I kind of think, and this is just my sense of humor on, I apologize. I think it's funny that you're reverse engineering, reverse engineering, right? (laughs) You're you're looking at how people reverse engineered and reverse engineering that. Can we tell the story though, to kind of dig into this a little bit, the story that you tell in the introduction about Bill Gates and Steve Jobs? Because I think this makes a really good point, I think, to kick us off and go a little bit deeper. I never knew, by the way, that Bill Gates at one point worked for Steve Jobs. I had no idea that they had that connection. Yeah, that's what I found so fascinating is that back in the 1980s, and I know a lot of people don't know this story. I didn't know this story before I started doing digging into the research. But back in the 1980s, computers looked nothing like the sleek, intuitive devices we all have now. If you wanted a computer to do anything, you had to reach for a keyboard and input a rigid text-based language to input your instructions. That's how it worked. Today, of course, we don't do any of that. We just use a mouse to point and click. And that innovation was a crucial advance. And it relied on the introduction of something called a graphic user interface or a GUI. Now, Steve Jobs and Apple were working to release the Macintosh. And Bill Gates at the same time was working to release Windows while he was a vendor for Apple. Neither one of them came up with a GUI. It was designed by uh, Xerox. And they both identified Xerox innovation, which Xerox was not intending for popular computers. They were simply using it as a device that could be sold to large businesses. So it was a completely underutilized innovation and both Apple And uh, Microsoft identified it as something that they could build upon. And so rather than stealing the technology, which they didn't, they reverse engineered it, meaning that they understood what it did. And then they worked backward to figure out how it was created and then recreated themselves, but added, and this is crucial, they added their own spin on it. So Apple was focused on making computers user friendly and Microsoft was focused on making computers affordable. And so both of them added key innovation to an idea that already existed and made it better. That's phenomenal. And you you mentioned that Steve Jobs accuses Bill Gates of stealing from him. And Bill Gates points out that, well, you're not the you're not the artist you think you are. But but I also think, you know, this Xerox with Apple on top of that, with Microsoft on top of that, Ron, is kind of the key here, isn't it? That nobody is. um is creative on their own. Like creativity Mm -hmm. is built on the backs of somebody else's creativity. 
Yeah, there, you know, that's exactly the case is that people think that if I want to be creative, I'm going to go and close the doors and do some really deep soul searching and then I'll come up with the creative idea. But that's not how creativity works. Creativity happens when we combine the best ideas and find new uses for them. And so a far better approach to being creative is to stop trying to be so original and look for the best pieces of things that you've really admired and figure out a new way of combining them. And in fact, if you look at some of the biggest innovations of all time, they were just a combination of pre-existing elements. So for example, Steve Jobs didn't create the phone. He didn't create the MP3 player, but he put them together into an iPhone. Uh, Google was simply a way uh, that academics, it was an application of the way that academics cite research articles, and it used that approach and applied it to how information was gathered on the web. That's how Google came about. Even books came from the combination of the wine press, which gave us ink, and then combined it with the coin punch, which gave us typographical blocks of letters. So that is such a, I, I think that that is so fascinating because when we think about creativity, we think about, I need to be original. But actually, if you want to be creative, stop trying to be original and try to find ways of combining things that exist in a new way. I think that says something else too, which excites me. Which is that I also feel like a lot of creators stay too close to home. Like as an example, I have a podcast and I could mm -hmm. just go listen to other podcasters for clues, which I think would be good, decode their greatness, right? But I could mm -hmm. also take things like one thing that, and I don't do a lot of stuff great, but one thing I think we've done here, Ron, is look back at old time radio and the fact that then mm. radio was intentional. You had to sit down at the beginning like you do on a podcast and you can actually go back, I think, to the 1930s and 40s when the family gathered around the radio and listened to a whole show like people press play at the beginning of your show versus now that, you know, you get in the car and you're right in the middle of a discussion. You know what I mean? Like we can we can go look at things that are far afield to your point and really find some great innovation uh, from outside of our local half acre. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And one of the things that I do in the book is so obviously I talk about reverse engineering and figuring out what it is that makes something unique. But then I talk about formulas for evolving existing formulas, meaning that it's not enough to just reproduce someone else's successful formula because chances are your work will either be viewed as derivative or you won't execute it as well as the original, or you'll still fail because audience expectations shifted, sure. right? So if you keep producing the same thing over and over again, you're going to sink the genre. What you need to do is take an existing formula and evolve it in some way. And so in Decoding Greatness, I offer different approaches to modifying formulas. And one of those is looking to the past and finding things that worked uh, years ago, but no longer are mainstream. And a great example of this is the one you mentioned, Another example is in marketing, where a lot of times we assume that the best way to generate funds is to do, use email marketing or to use ads. But one of the tactics that we've overlooked is plain old sending people a postcard in the mail. Now, that might seem ridiculous, except when you consider the fact that most people get somewhere in the range of, I think it's 800 emails a week, right? The average worker receives 800 emails a week, 125 or so a day. How many pieces of mail does that same worker receive? It's something like under 10. And it and feels so, like it feels like so much more personal too now, right? Well, maybe not the postcard, but the letter, right? If it's if it's personalized, maybe yeah. I know something a little bit about you, I can connect to your challenge. It's it's expensive, clearly. Sending an email is cheaper, but it is a lot more impactful to send people mail when it's mission critical. 
And even places like Google and Amazon, they still use mail marketing. Those are the guys, right, who, who if anybody knows what they're doing when it comes to marketing, it's those powerhouses. And if they're using it, that tells you something, which is that sometimes the key to creativity and the key to effectiveness is looking backwards to get ahead. That's powerful stuff. You know, when people start here, I can just... I can just feel people as they're listening to you thinking about, okay, the things that they're passionate about and starting to work backwards through those things. But you say that there's a key step here and you call it a a private museum that you've got to do some data collection. Tell me about this notion of a private museum. Yeah. Thank you uh, for picking that up because that's one of my favorite tips. So the first step to figuring out what it is that is outstanding in your field is creating a private museum. And by that, I'd simply mean start a collection. And that, if you're a marketer, that means collecting landing pages that make you want to buy. If uh, you are a writer and I'm a writer, I collect words or I collect words that I feel like are really got me to pay attention, sit up and pay attention, or an opening, an introduction that caused me to, to, to really dig in, or a conclusion or a transition If you're a musician, you might look at various chord progressions or choruses that really made an impact for you. So when we think about collections, we think about physical objects. We think about stamps. We think about wines. We think about shoes. But that definition is too narrow. What we should be doing is thinking about objects within our field that grab our attention so that we can start comparing them against ones that aren't quite as impactful. And it's by comparing the ordinary against the extraordinary that you identify the elements that make it unique. And that exploration is what empowers you to produce better work. You can't help but notice what makes something great when you analyze it. And so having that private museum that you go when it's time for you to create original works, that inspires you to think big and also provides clues about what it is that you need to do to be more effective. Well, and this is the building block, I think, to the next great point you make, which is this is all about pattern recognition. And tell me where we start with pattern recognition. Are there shortcuts to kind of see patterns where we might not have seen them before? Well, having that collection is going to be helpful to you because once you have numbers, in other words, once you have a number of examples that you find to be extraordinary and unique, now you can start to see what it is that they have in common. Okay. And so the book, I give the example of how algorithms like Tinder are so effective at helping people find their potential partner. What they do is that they ask you to rate people at the beginning uh, on whether or not you find them attractive. And then it takes the group of people that you found attractive and looks for patterns. And often it'll find things that you weren't even consciously aware of that you like. For example, it might find that you are attracted to someone who's extroverted or someone who likes spicy food. And if I asked you about that, what are you looking for in an ideal mate? You wouldn't even know that. And so what it's able to do is it's able to identify patterns, but it it can't do that without that having that initial collection of the people that you uh, have identified as attractive. And so the same is true for all of us. If we want to get good at figuring out what it is that excellence means for us, we first need to have that collection because that's when we find some of the patterns. If I'm in a spot right now and I want to be someplace else, I have this goal. We talk a lot about beginning with the end in mind. The fastest mm-hmm. way then to bridge that gap? Well, when, so we're talking about a particular skill. Is that what you mean? Yeah. If I've got a skill that I want to be better at, let's say that I decide yeah. that I want to, I want to, I don't know, I want to improve my marathon time. Let's, let's use yeah. that as an example. 
I'm slow as crap now. <laughs> I want to run <laughs> significantly faster, but I have a number in mind. What's the, mm-hmm. what's the quickest way to get on the road then to bridging that gap? Okay. So the first half of my book is about all of the ways that people have reverse engineered in a variety of fields, how you can do the same, and then how you can evolve your formula. The second half of the book is about something a little bit different, which is once you identify what your goal is and what you're trying to achieve, you're not necessarily going to be effective at it right out of the gate. It's going to take some building. And so that is the section that I call bridging the gap between your ultimate vision and your current ability. And that's what that section is all about. And so your question was, how do I how do I get better at something? And so one of the first things I'll tell you is something I refer to as the scoreboard principle. The scoreboard principle simply means that measurement begets improvement. Anything that you measure, you will get better at. So we know this from the research. If you want to drink more water, keep score of your daily water intake. You want to lose weight, keep score of your daily calorie consumption. If you want to increase your focus at work, keep score of your uninterrupted minutes, okay? Anything you measure, you will get better at. And it's because we're naturally attracted to numbers. There's an evolutionary reason for why that is. In the past, keeping track of uh, how many people were around us was vital to our survival. If we encountered a tribe that had lots and lots of people, we might either try to connect with them in some peaceful way or get the hell out of there, right? So if you weren't paying attention to numbers, you probably aren't around today. There's also the fact that having numbers provides an emotional jolt. When you see your numbers rise, you start feeling, wow, I feel great. And that emotional jolt will provide you with more motivation. So There's plenty more I can get into about why measuring is important. But here, what you want to do is you want to identify what your end goal is, and then you want to take some time to think about what are the sub goals that are critical in order for me to achieve that ultimate goal. So these are like these like milestones along the way. Yeah. So or daily behaviors. Okay, is the the way I would think about it. So in, in the case of reducing your marathon time there may be a number of factors that you might identify are the drivers of that ultimate vision. So it could be, for example, how many times you practice running during the week. It could be, so how many minutes at the gym, for example, what your calorie consumption is, because obviously you don't want to be gaining weight while you're doing this. It's how much sleep you invest. So it's thinking about what are the drivers of that outcome and how do I give myself a scoreboard? Because in sports, it's very clear what you're trying to do, right? You're trying to score points. You're trying to score touchdowns. You're trying to score goals in everyday life. It's a little bit harder to identify what your daily goals are because it's a moving target. But if you give yourself a scoreboard that you can measure your behavior on, you're far more likely to achieve the outcome you desire. Oh, I love that. That's so powerful. And to your point, I got a uh, Garmin watch recently that keeps uh-huh. score for me and I can't, I, t- t- I can't escape the data and I, and I love it. At first I'm like, wow, I don't need half this data. I look at it now, Ron, every day. <laughs> And I'm always looking for improvement. So you're right. The second that we, I, I had a scoreboard set up in front of me, I, I, I started changing I, my let habits. Me tell you, let me tell you, Joe, I'm the same way. And I recently upgraded to an Apple Watch. And it was like, I felt the same way as you. It was like all this useless data. And who needs all this useless data? And now a month in, I'm like, I need all this useless data. And I'll tell you what I've discovered. A couple of things. One is I track my water consumption. I actually do this myself because my physician told me I need to drink more water. So my water intake has gone up by between 50 and 100% because now I, wow. I actually have age and it tells me like what percentage of my goal is that day. That might seem like ridiculous, right? Except what I've also found is that when I drink more water and I get some cardio, I'll have more deep sleep that night. Why is deep sleep important? 
it aids with your creativity sure. and it makes you more productive the next day. And it's one of those things where unless you have that scoreboard, it's so easy to like to not even think about how much water did I consume or how much deep sleep did I get? But those are the factors that underlie the ultimate goal. So if you think about, you know, if you're serious about your success at work, you really need to look at some of those health indicators because that'll help you get there. I need to find some watch or device that tells me how much uh, donut consumption helps with everything. If I, if <laughs> you can create that app, I don't think that exists for the Apple Watch. If, if you find that, see, there it is. I've, I just create, I found my niche. Now I just got to go yeah. get my private museum and, and be on my way. That, or time to start stacking the Benjamins. That's right. Or stacking the endless carbs and sugar. <laughs> uh, the book is decoding greatness, how the best in the world reverse engineer success. It was a fantastic read. And just, if you're trying to get good at anything, it's a fantastic place to start. Uh, where do we get it? I'm assuming everywhere. You get it everywhere. It's on Amazon. It's also, if you go on to Decoding Greatness book, you can get some bonuses with it, like a free course. If you want to visit me, you can find me on ronfriedmanphd.com. And we will link to all of those spots on our show notes page at stackybedjamins.com. By the way, uh, just before we started recording, you found out that you were on an Amazon list this month as well. That's right. It's one of the one of the best nonfiction books of the month. And uh, I appreciate you mentioning that. It was, uh, it was a nice, uh, delightful surprise. Totally, totally. I'm, I'm completely on board with that. Thanks for hanging out with us and talking about greatness, Ron. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. That is some powerful, powerful stuff, OG. Big thanks again to Dr. Ron Friedman for coming down to the basement. That's great news in a lot of ways, OG, that big success is closer than we think it is, right? We don't have to spend that 10,000 hours practicing something the wrong way. We could be in it for 2,000 hours, maybe. And if we deconstruct how people got there, get there ourselves much, much more quickly. Yeah, maybe the 10,000-hour thing is to accommodate the fact that you're going to... Have eight thousand dollars of wasted eight thousand hours of wasted time, <laughs> type of deal versus somebody's already got the cake recipe. Just follow the instructions. In a lot of ways, I feel like this is a step two of what uh, Austin Cleon did when he was on the show a couple times, talking about stealing like an artist. Right? It's funny, and you've said this before. You hear two or three people say the same thing or something similar. You know, there's some truth there. And the fact that Austin Cleon says, if you want to be great at something, don't go be all original and creative. Look at what some great creators did that are in the field that you want to do and riff off of what they're doing. Ron Friedman puts it, I think, a little more succinctly, frankly, by looking at data and picking out data points that are important to get there and and focusing on that. I can totally see a spreadsheet coming to be the next Michelangelo. <laughs> no? You can have that. Maybe not. Paint by numbers, Michelangelo. MS Paint. I can do that. He did the Sistine Chapel. We'll do the ceiling in mom's basement. She'll appreciate that. <laughs> That'd be great. Hey, let's throw out the Haven Lifeline OG and tackle some of life's most important questions. Our friends over at Haven Life Insurance Agency, they put what you value first. Did you say something about cupcakes? Oh, cupcakes man. without frosting. It, with milk. No, tons of frosting and milk. No frosting. Oh, Only cake. You lost me there. Uh, it's your loved ones in your time, but with a cupcake with lots of frosting and milk, I think is the best thing. It's why they've made buying quality term life insurance actually simple. You go to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash Haven Life now, and you're going to get a free quote and 
you get that life insurance decision done. You're going to feel great about yourself because you protected your family with a policy with affordable prices issued by Mass Mutual, the parent company of Haven Life that's more than 160 years old. By the way, no more waiting forever to find out the insurance company decision. You'll get that in moments. And today we're going to throw out the lifeline to our friend Albert. Say hi, Albert. Hey, Doug and OG, got a question. I paused at 403B contribution while I was paying off some debt. The balance is about 170. When I run the numbers for retirement 20 years, almost a quarter of prospective value and growth will go to fees. Should I continue just to build on the 170? I mean, I've opened a Roth IRA for my wife and I. Just want to get your take on this. I've heard OG say, don't worry about fees. Just keep growing your assets. Thanks. Oh, Albert, thanks for the question. And um, I would love to see that math, OG, because that's a monster, monster fee that he's talking about. Yeah, I wonder what kind of assumptions we're using. And and remember, when you see the returns on your statement, let's say that you have $100,000 and the portfolio went up 10%. And you see now that it says 110,000 and the and the and the says you made 10%. They don't then go, "Oh, and by the way, we're going to need 2,000 of that back." Like that's already baked into the sauce. Now, I, I, don't get me wrong, that's still you're still paying the money. But I think some people are under the impression like, well, then I've got to give some of it back. So, if I only make 6% and I got to give two of it back cuz I got these high fees, you know, I'm really only making four. It's like, nah, if, if you see six, that's your six. Now, I you're right. It could have been eight, right? And you only got six, but you're seeing a net number. I think a couple of things here. Firstly, I'm scared about turning off your retirement plan contributions because it's automated because of a fee thing, because it's easy to turn off your Roth contributions. It's, you know, when it comes out of your paycheck, it's already spent, you know, it's like your health insurance is already taken out and it is what it is. You start toying with the like, well, eh, next month I'll catch up on my Roth. It's kind of a slippery slope. Uh, If you have any sort of matching contributions, that's a no-brainer. You have to make enough uh, investment to get your free matching contributions. That's 100% return. So who cares what the fee is? You're getting 100% return on your money or whatever the match is there. So we got to do that. And then I think the other thing that you could do as a as an opportunity, if you if you have a 403b, you probably have multiple 403b options with your company. You know, if you're an educator, you probably have several different 403b providers. If you work at a hospital or a medical practice, you probably have a few providers. And even if you only have one, I think raising a stink, if in fact it really is 25% of your return is fee. I mean, if you've got one of those like antiquated, you know, we charge you. 3% 3% a year type of thing. I think that's a worthwhile thing to bring to HR and say, listen, this is not at all competitive and you guys need to do something about that because they're on the hook technically as employers to be also fiduciaries, which is a whole different thing that we can get into. But I think those are a couple of different options that I would consider in addition to the Roth, which I think you should do too. So Kind of my two cents on it. For new people to the show, I also want to defend you a little bit, OG. Uh, uh, Albert, I think, used some shorthand for longtime stackers, which is 
When he mentioned that you said, don't worry about fees, I think that might be a little too shorthand for new people to the show. What we often say here is that while controlling your fees is important, it's not nearly as important as saving. And so when OG says to Albert here that, you know what, don't turn it off because of the fact that it's the easiest place to save. We know that behavior is number one and you can save a bunch of money on fees by not saving any money. And a lot of people do that. There's a lot of broke professors out there who know all the stinking rules and haven't saved a dime. And yet when uh, we've seen people that have gotten ahead, many of those people get ahead with some egregious fees that OG and I both hate that we can't stand, but they still got there. You know how they got there? Cause they actually saved some money into some pretty crappy places. They could have done a lot better, but they still saved. So I wanted to bring that up. Not for Albert. If Albert's been listening to us for a while, OG, he knows that, but I think new people go, what? Don't pay attention to fees. You crazy. Fees are important but not the most. And I love what you said about 403Bs, that there's a lot of different choices. Maybe look around and see if there's a different 403B choice uh, that has a lower fee structure. And what do you think about, let's say he's not getting a match, about automatically making sure that he maxes his Roth IRA as well. uh, So his Roth IRA gets maxed out. So it's kind of a hybrid because a Roth IRA he can do maybe with a lower fee place that Albert might like more and still put money into his 403B? It just largely depends on behavior. You know, if you're the type of person that's going to uh, screw this up, then, <laughs> then don't do then it. Don't do it. You know, but if you, if you can figure out a way around that, then that's fine too. I mean, if, if that's your kind of like, if you're like, I can put 12,000 into my 403B or I can put 6,000 in each one of my, my spouse's Roth, the same 12,000, right? then kind of sort of tomato, tomato based on like how you feel about it. But if the fees are much less than the Roth, you can do that. I just think just having seen this for two and a half decades of time, it doesn't happen that way. It's like, it's all good intentions. Like, well, but at Christmas, when I get my bonus, that's when I'll max out my Roth. Cause I haven't been able to this year so far. Not going to happen. Because of A, B, C, D and E through Z. Not going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for that question, Albert. It's interesting. Last week, we handled a call about the tax triangle. And I, I frankly do think that if you can do it, Albert, uh, I think both is better. Uh, I try to do some of each. Get some of the tax right after today. And, and like OG said, you definitely have to take advantage of the match. The amount that you save, actually, before I thank Albert, one more thing, OG. The amount of money you save should not also be based on what you can afford to save, you should first look at how much do you need to save to get where you want to go. And I know this isn't part of, of Albert's question, yeah. but I feel like this is a mistake a lot of people make is that they say, well, I'm, I'm putting 8% away. Well, why are you pay, putting 8% away? Where's that get you? And most of the time people have no idea. Because that's what I can afford. Right. Because that's what I set up 31 years ago. Start with the end in mind, figure out what you need to save, and then work backwards, and then decide what the places to save are. So that's kind of the overall way I think that uh, we see it. Uh, Thanks now, Albert, for for that. And if you've got a question for OG, head to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash voicemail, and we'll be happy to not only answer it like we did Albert's question here today, but you know what? Because Albert was brave and he called in. We're also going to send his way a code for a Haven Life Greatest Money Show on Earth 
t-shirt, which is now in Kelly green. Good, good looking shirt. Albert's going to be a heck of a good looking dude in his uh, new stacking Benjamin swag. Hey, just a few things before we say goodbye, a few community things. Number one, if you want to guide to this show, head to uh, stackingbenjamins.com forward slash stacker. That also gets you lessons that I've learned over my time managing money. We now have 19 weeks in a row. We're working toward 52 weeks. We've got 19 weeks done. Hopefully by the time you hear this, we'll have 20 or 21 weeks done. But when you sign up, you'll start off right at the beginning with lesson one and then work all the way through. Also, you'll get guides to the shows though on Sunday night and Tuesday night. And it doesn't go over what we're going to talk about specifically. It talks about additional materials and uh, a little bit broader conversation than we have here. So if you'd like a guide to the show, stackingbenjamins.com forward slash stacker. Also, if you're a fan of the show, I would love it if you went to iTunes, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts and leave us a review because great reviews from people that love the show are the lifeblood of any podcast and show people that there's other stackers out there and they can be comfortable knowing that they're joining a community of like-minded people. And so thanks to everybody who's done that. By the way, I have so many books that I've decided we're going to give some of these books away. These are interviews I've done with many, many guests. And because of COVID, we haven't given them out. And today it is listener Teresa S. So Teresa, I'm going to be sending you a list of uh, all the 9,567 books I have. Uh, Probably not, but I will compile a list of many of them. And then uh, Teresa, you're going to pick one. So thanks for the, for the review, Teresa. And if you leave us a review, just uh, snap a photo of it. Send it to joe at stackingbenjamins.com. Next up, a lot of people don't know that you can listen to us on a smart speaker. All you got to do is say the name of your speaker, which I won't do because we have some in this room, then say play Stacking Benjamins. And you can listen to us wherever you are at in the house or out and about just using your voice. All the modern conveniences here from the basement. Finally, If you're someone who needs better financial planning help in your corner and you are ready to hire a financial planning team, OG and his team are taking clients. So head to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash OG, and that will lead you to his team's calendar. And that's the first step. And then they will meet at that meeting to talk about what it would take for you to interface with their team to make better financial planning decisions in the future. All right. I think that does it. We're ready to go. I see we got Doug coming back. Hey, man. Uh, Doug, you got it from here. What should we have learned today? So what should we have learned today? First, take a lesson from our headline. You pay into the system, so make sure to take advantage of all the government resources available to you if you're struggling. Second, take a lesson from Dr. Ron Friedman. The way to achieve greatness is as simple as tracking and emulating people talented in whatever you want to achieve. But the big lesson, this no monkey business junk is totally overrated. I mean, that snake in Joe's mom's shoe was gold, pure gold. Although now I'm not exactly welcome back until Joe's mom pays me back, whatever that means. You don't have to pay me, mom. It was a great joke. You don't have to pay me for it. 
To learn more about our guests and for more resources, you can head to our show notes page at stackingbenjamins.com. Check out Dr. Ron Friedman's book, Decoding Greatness, starting tomorrow, wherever books are sold. This show is created by Joe Salcihai, produced by Richie Rudder-Reese, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter, at SBenjamin'sCast, or on our Facebook page. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I do not like computer jokes, not one bit. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remunerations. That's a big word. There's no way you take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only. And before making any financial decisions, consult with a real financial advisor. You ever have these shows that you catch up to later and, and you can't figure out why you, why you didn't watch them? We, we did that with, uh, with Ray Romano. Uh, what was that show called? Ray Romano? Ray, Ray. Everybody loves Raymond. Everybody loves Raymond. Yeah. We did that with Everybody Loves Raymond. The show like went off the air and Cheryl and I started watching the, you know, repeat episodes of the mm-hmm. whatever reruns um, in syndication and laughed our flipping head off. I think we did that with Modern Family. We watched a lot of Modern... That's on USA all the time. So yeah. That's like that's kind of what spins in the background of our evenings at our house usually. I got Shit's Creek about halfway through, picked up on that one, and I still daily uh, see people online going, oh, we just started watching Shit's Creek. It's so good. Yeah. I, haven't, I haven't finished that yet. I'm still season four and a half maybe. Yeah. This is one that also has been around for quite a long time. This is a Canadian show called Kim's Convenience. We just started watching. You familiar with Kim's Convenience? No. Let's listen. I'm a Mr. Kim and this is my store. I'm working very hard every day. My wife, Mrs. Kim, is working hard, too, with a very happy family. What? One day, my daughter, Janet, did a takeover store. I'm not taking over the store. What's wrong with the store? Okay, maybe not now, but... I'm not taking over the store ever, okay? <laughs> it was a CNBC... It's a CBC series. I almost said CNBC uh, series. Uh, Kim's Convenience... This show is so funny, OG. It follows a, a Korean family in Toronto. And I only say that they're a Korean family. Certainly, they're a Canadian family. But I say they're a Korean family because they make a big deal of being of Korean descent. And there is not a show that goes by 
where they probably violate every single rule of of um, making fun of every uh, ethnicity that is out there, starting with themselves. And I'm fairly certain that whoever the writer is sees herself as the uh, a young woman Janet in the show, the daughter, because she spends so much time there. Her, her parents are just caricatures of immigrant parents in Toronto. And as an example, in episode number one, Pride Fest is going on in Toronto and the parade is going by the store. Two gentlemen come in and they want to hang a poster for the Pride Parade. And Mr. Kim doesn't like the way the poster looks. And one of the, one of the two gentlemen says that he must be homophobic. And Mr. Kim says, I'm not homophobic. I just think it's an ugly poster. Which, by the way, now that I've watched many episodes, is true. And he's very, he very much just has no filter, says exactly what he thinks. And the guy goes, no, it has nothing to do with the poster. You're homophobic. He goes, no. And, and I can't do the, the whole Korean accent justice. And he just does such a great job of, of playing this part. He's like, no, I, I love the gays. In fact, everybody who comes in here who's gay is going to get a 15% discount. And one of the guy goes, so you can identify gay people? And Mr. Kim without a beat goes, oh yeah, yeah, I can tell when somebody's gay. They walk in and I, and I know right away. And the guy says, oh, so you, your gaydar is strong. He's like, oh, my gaydar is very, very strong. And so the whole rest of the episode, he's talking about how strong his gaydar is. And people are walking in and out of the store and he's predicting who's gay and who's not. <laughs> it, is, it is so massively, massively something you would not expect to see. And many times very inappropriate and uh, hysterically funny as it takes shots at everybody, at absolutely everybody. The- kind of taking that record and just scratching, scratching the uh, the normal soundtrack right off. Of we got done with episode one and Cheryl goes, I can't believe how they checked off all the things you're not supposed to do. And they did all of them <laughs> in episode number one. Uh, Kim's Convenience, very funny. We're, we're loving it. We're just on season one. I don't know where I've been. I'm sure people are going to write to me going, I can't believe you're just now discovering Kim's convenience, but like you, OG, I'd never heard of it. I had no idea, but Kim's convenience, go check it out. Well, stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is military appreciation month that I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric, who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans. And all branches of the military, veterans, DOD, employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate and you'll see all 
of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.